Hi everyone, welcome back. Welcome to Crime Colts and Coffee. I'm Kelsey. And I'm Bryn. So we have to start off today's episode with the story about something that happened at work that literally scared the shit out of me. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so it was just me and my one coworker. We were just, you know, it was a pretty slow day, nobody else was there, and she had told me that the past weekend that she went on this, like, haunted, like, ghost tour in Connecticut. She's been, like, really looking forward to it. She said it was really fun. Can we go? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I know. She said it was, like, a really fun time. But, so she goes, and I was, like, asking her about it, and she's like, it was good. They, like, taught us grounding techniques Mm -hmm. and... Like, all this stuff, and I was like, oh, cool. Wait, did they teach them these techniques before they were in the place? Yes. Yeah. Outside of the she place. She said okay. before they went into, like, any of these places, they would say, like, imagine the white light surrounding you, and just so, like, not nothing followed yeah. them home. <laughs> okay. So, we've always said that, actually, this office is, like, a little haunted. Because, Where you were. Yeah. Because we hear, like, things during the day, and, like, there's other people in the office building at the same time. Like, there's a dentist, there's a PCP upstairs, but it's, like, when there's nobody there, like, everybody has gone for the day because we stay open open till 9 p.m., Mm -hmm. we hear things. So, it was just me and her yesterday, and all of a sudden, it literally sounded like... It was, like, a drop ceiling. It sounded like one of the panels from the drop ceiling fell onto the ground. Oh it was God. so loud. And it was, like, right behind a portion of, like, the wall that we sit behind. So there's, like, no other office back there. Like, it was just, I don't know. It was weird. So, I, and then we heard footsteps running after Ew. it fell. Ew. So Alyssa's like, oh, my God. Like, I think, it, I think it may have been, like, crutches or, like, something. So naturally, I grabbed my taser because <laughs> I do not like scary things, and I don't like working in the office at, like, at night, you know? And, you know, if there's a ghost around, just tase just the tase fuck it, out of it. Right? <laughs> I really, yeah, I heard that ghosts hate tasers. But would you, like, just spin in circles? Yeah. Unless you actually could see. The ghost would probably laugh at me. (laughs) But, yeah, so I grabbed my taser, and I literally expected there to be a person, like, crouched in the back. Like, we keep our medication, like, hiding. Which, I'm sorry, is even more terrifying than a spirit being in the building. It is. But, like, we were both fucking terrified. We're like, somebody has to go back there. Like, there's no exit from that way. So, Mm -hmm. like, there's somebody back there we need to go. So, I have my taser on... I, like, did a little zap. Full blast. I did a little zap to, like, scare anybody when they were back there. (laughs) And we go back. Everything is perfectly in its place. Not one thing has fallen. And, like, when I tell you it sounded like literally part of the ceiling fell. And then running. What the hell? I don't know. I wonder what it was. I have no idea, but we were terrified and looking for the probably the next three hours until we left for something to have fallen. There was nothing. It was a spirit from the place she went to. She was like, I wonder if I brought something else. <laughs> Shut up. Don't say anything. <laughs> Do not even speak that into existence because I'm not bringing anything home. <laughs> well, I mean, if something did come back with her, it could, it could either good. be, yeah, it could be something good that just like wanted to attach for a little while and then will eventually leave, but maybe not. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't, I'm Did good. Did she say anything about the spirits that are in, that were in the place she was at? She said that they mentioned that there was a little girl there, and she was like, what if I brought the little girl home? I was like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> did the little girl have any, like, did anything happen to her with her stomach? I don't know. I have to ask her, why do you feel like 
There yeah. was. Really? Yeah. Oh my god, I hope she's listening. I feel like either there was something with her stomach or Oh god. <laughs> I'm gonna scare the shit out of you right now. <laughs> um sometimes like demons are known to present themselves as children. No. And if it is a demon, they can make you feel like or an entity. It can make you nauseous. feel, like, sick to your stomach. No. Nope. So, it might be one of those two things. Nope. Let's hope... Well, no, I don't hope it's a little child that had something wrong with their stomach, but... It would be better than a demon, thank you. Yeah. I hope it's neither, and I that... just have, like, really... Like, when I... With, with part of my gift... I haven't really explained my gift on the podcast, but... Mm-hmm, not much. With part of my gift, actually, it'll relate... Everyone would have heard Laura's episode by now. Yeah, guys. Holy <laughs> shit, right? <laughs> That was so a, good. Like, incredible roller coaster ride. It was so much fun to record with her too. Yeah, seriously, I can't wait to do it again because Same. there will be more. <laughs> but um yeah, my gift is kind of similar to hers in some ways, different in others, yeah. but I do also I am an empath as well and I pick up on feeling and I I pick up a lot on like if some like if something happened with their stomach or, like, my neck yeah, will start to you've hurt, had that like, before, stuff like right? that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Gosh. Or I'll, I'll have chest pains or I'll have trouble breathing. Like, I relate a lot body wise like that. That's so crazy. Yeah. Now I need to know if this little girl had a stomach problem or if she, it was a demon. Because <laughs> it was <laughs> or, fucking scary. Or if I'm just having, like, really bad stomach pains right? myself right now. <laughs> but then I was no, like. No, it started when you said that, so. Yeah, it's probably. I don't, I don't even want to know. Yeah. But then I'm like, oh, there's a mousetrap, and then I'm, like, thinking in my head, like, no, that was a much bigger sound than a mousetrap. Like, I was trying to make something sound, like, logical. Yeah, there's no way. And a mousetrap wouldn't go running after. No, it was people's <laughs> footsteps. It was scary. That is terrifying. Yeah, no thanks. I was like, can we go home? <laughs> so, uh, besides that, there, I, I don't really have anything to say, except I've been listening to some new podcasts. Yeah, talk about them. And I love, I love, all I do at work is listen to podcasts, so once I'm caught up on, like, the big ones that mm-hmm. I've been listening to since forever, yeah, I try to find new l- little ones to start, or mm-hmm. short series and stuff to start. So I recently started Strange and Unexplained with Daisy Egan, and it's a I podcast from the Obsessed Network, which is the network that, um the hosts from True Crime Obsessed started. Oh, cool. Yeah, and I love them. I do too. <laughs> I love Jillian and Patrick. They're so cool. Yeah, so, but Strange and Unexplained is really cool. There's some, uh, strange. And unexplained And things. unexplained stuff on there. And then wow, I, I told know. you, <laughs> and I told you recently about Anatomy of Murder. Yeah, that one was really I good. Which I love, and I believe that one is an audio chuck, which is mm. Crime Junkies. Okay. Yeah, I have a hard time catching up on podcasts because I don't listen at work. I listen mainly when I'm at the gym or when I'm driving. Yeah. But I did listen to that one at the gym the other day, and I was, like, audibly, like, saying things. Anatomy of Murder? Yeah, out loud on the treadmill, and there was definitely people staring at me because we don't have the masks anymore. I'm obsessed because the one host in Anatomy of Murder was a prosecutor 
Yeah. And she's like the co-host of she or the so host of an knowledge. ID channel show. Yeah. And yeah. then the other one, I believe, was a detective. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, yeah, they're both like so knowledgeable about They explain everything. Yeah. And especially about like details or how people would react on a crime scene. Or, like, or legal sides yeah. of things. Yeah. Ugh, I love it. Me too. And then I also not to keep going with it but there was one more i was listening to called the devil within and that Mm. actually takes place in new jersey that's scary so we might have to cover that at some point and it's it's cray cray and the the host of it is from new jersey really yeah he's from that town i love when people dive deep into like one case and make it a series Mm -hmm. it's super interesting and like i like how it leaves you like on cliffhangers like that i don't know i like series like that for podcasts. Like Counterclock you were talking yeah. about. Yeah. Yeah, I just started Counterclock and it is really, really good. That's another audio check. Is it? Thing. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, that one's really good. And then sorry, just so many recommendations. <laughs> Paper Ghosts. Yes. Really and it's coming fucking out with season good. two or just came out with season two. I was addicted to Paper Ghosts for a long time. Yeah, same. He has like a great speaking voice. His voice is very soothing. Yeah. I love Yet. it. Scary. Yes. <laughs> Are you going to talk about our coffee? Yes, let's get into it. So you start since uh, the recommendation kind of went to you. Yeah, so this coffee place that we are reviewing today is called Black and Brass Coffee Roasting Company. So I originally heard of them. I went to go visit our friends, Jesse and Kirsten, and they... Kirsten made me coffee in the morning, and it was probably one of the best, like, she made me a latte, like, with espresso. Mm -hmm. It was one of the best lattes I've ever had, like, you know, doing it at home, like, with an espresso machine. It was so good. So I was like, where is this? She's like, oh, we just went there. You have to go check it out. The inside's really cool. So we ended up reaching out to them, and they sent us some coffee. Mm, And other goods. Yeah. They sent us a lot of stuff, actually. Do you want to talk about what they sent? Yeah, so they sent us a face mask. They sent us coffee. They sent us a sticker and chocolate. The chocolate we're eating today, and it's fucking good. It is. Okay, I'm rating the chocolate 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10 coffee bean chocolate. Yeah. Let's. Okay, so the chocolate, it says it's salted caramel coffee bar. And, like, so, I expect, expected that to be, like, cream, like, actual caramel inside but it's not and it's better when it said coffee bar part of me was like oh my god were we supposed to melt this down like into a coffee and we're just chomping on (laughs) chocolate we're gonna die of like palpitations (laughs) but i could taste right away in the chocolate now we're reviewing the chocolate bar yes um the sea salt Mm -hmm. automatically it's like chunks of it but in a good way yeah and it's dark chocolate but it's not too bittersweet and i love dark chocolate but it is probably some of the best dark chocolate I've ever had in my life. It is. I don't know how they got the caramel in there, but, like, because it's not, like I said, like, actual, like, you bite into it and it's caramel, but the flavor is there and it's really good. And it says there's black and brass French roasted coffee in it as an ingredient. I love it. I'm obsessed. It's really good. Okay, on to the coffee. Yes. Well, actually, let me just give the address real quick in case anyone wants to go see them. So their address is 520 Main Street, and they have another one at 101 Grandview Ave in Honesdale, PA. So go check them out. I'm looking at pictures right now of the inside. And it is really, really cute. 
there's like exposed brick on the inside and oh. that's part of the thing that Kirsten loved the most. She's like the inside was just so cute and inviting. I love, I love even their exterior. Right? Yeah. Oh, it's adorable. You guys have to look at pictures so you know yeah. what we're talking about. Oh my gosh, I'm obsessed. As we sit here and swoon. They have a little waterfall. Oh my gosh. Oh, I love it. I'm obsessed. So, today's coffee that we're reviewing from them, and you will be hearing more from them. Yeah, they gave us a bunch of samples. Is the Darling Dark, and it's chocolate smoke decadence. Hell yeah, decadence (laughs) is a great descriptive word. (laughs) It is decadent. It is. (laughs) It's really good. How would you rate this? Or let's talk about how it tastes first. Yeah. So, to me, it's a very smooth coffee. Even though it's a dark blend, I feel like... It is so drinkable. Like, I'm not... It's not too much for me. Yeah. And I definitely taste the chocolate... Chocolatey flavor or tone of it. Notes of it. Yeah, I agree. Um, I absolutely love it. I like the sweetness of it with the chocolate. It's, it is a dark roast, but it's not bitter. Yeah. Like I said. So, yeah. I, I like this one a lot. I think the best way I would describe it is dark chocolate in coffee form. Yeah, literally. Like, it to, tastes to like you kind of melted down a dark chocolate bar. Yeah, maybe what we were supposed to do with the chocolate is how they made this coffee. <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> I'm gonna read a little blurb from their About Me on their website, which, by the way, is blackandbrasscoffee.com. So it says, at Black and Brass Coffee Roasting Company, a good cup of coffee takes quality and attention to detail. It takes per- passion, tenacity, consistency, and relentless desire to create the perfect cup to be the best. Mm. I love that. And it also says, It is our honor to serve our community. It is our daily mission to create comfortable beacon of conversation, culture, and creativity. A resting place to socialize and cultivate joy. Black and Brass is an ex- exponentially growing business because of our incessant desire to create value to those we love, our team, our customers. We are a part of something larger than ourselves, a community of culture and creativity. Be a part of our community. Mm-hmm. I love it. And that honestly, that little paragraph there was a great descriptor of, I feel like, the atmosphere of their story. Like summing it up. Yeah. I hope the mic's not picking up me chomping on <laughs> <in> my chocolate. <laughs> but it's so good. Yeah, they actually roast their beans at their coffee shops every day. So. Oh my god, that's so cool. Yeah. The chocolate is really fucking good, though. You guys mm-hmm. have to try that. So I give the cof- this coffee today, which, again, is Darling Dark. Mm-hmm. I would give this one an eight. I concur. I concur. <laughs> uh, looking at their site, I also want to just point out some other flavors, or not flavors, notes mm-hmm. that I'm seeing and blends that I'm seeing on their website. There is... A Highland Rise, which says chocolate notes with light nutty flavor, which sounds delicious. There is a Sumatra Sunset, which is a smoky cedar and light earthy body, Yum. which sounds interesting. I think we have a few of these. Honey Bourbon oh. has hints of licorice and nectar, and it creates a unique and balanced class of coffee. I just love their descriptions, too. I know. It's so elegant. It and is. decadent. Decadent. <laughs> they have a Facebook and Instagram and a Twitter in addition to their website, so go check all of those out. Yeah, on Instagram, you can find them at Black and Brass Coffee. Yes. Thank you, Black and Brass Coffee. You will be hearing about them again, as we said, but we really appreciate your generosity in sending us so much stuff. Yeah. 
much appreciated and we can't wait to add you to our coffee tour that one is actually pretty close i feel like we can make that like a like a weekend almost like driving to pittsburgh mm, maybe we know? can do like all the close ones in a row kind yeah. of like a little weekend do, yeah. do, do. just like set out like a little map of all the ones yeah and i'll make sure to um not eat breakfast that day so i can just eat a bunch of their chocolate in my <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of their chocolate, some pastries from another place. Mm, oh, some... God. Oh, a paste, uh, a croissant from one place and add their chocolate in the middle of it. Oh, my God. Ugh, this heaven. coffee tour is going to be great. Let us know if you want to join. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to have, like, a parade of cars following us on the coffee tour. Oh, my God. We'll have, like, flags. They're like, we don't give a fuck about Kelsey and Brand. We want the coffee. We just want the coffee. <laughs> Thank you for the recommendation. <laughs> All right, but let's get into turn. it. So grab, grab your, your coffee, coffee and have, have a morning with, with us. So today's case was technically suggested by Laura, <laughs> our medium, and as promised in last week's episode, or two weeks ago, yeah. depending on yeah. when you listened, um, we were going to cover this case because she's connected to it. Yeah, <laughs> I was literally shook when she said that. Yeah. Completely mind-blown. I had chills all over my body. I know. That was insane. Yeah. So, there is a trigger warning for this case. This case contains graphic details and rape. So, if you're going to be triggered by either of those, maybe you want to hold off till next week. Yep. We are going to be talking about the Boston Strangler. (laughs) Kelsey's dun-dun-dun made me laugh. (laughs) Not the Boston Strangler. Not the Boston Strangler. So we're going to be talking about the Boston Strangler, and I'm going to talk about a little bit of background on the name before we get into it. So initially, the crimes in this case were assumed to be the work of one person that they called, quote, the Mad Strangler of Boston. (laughs) So it was like the fancier version. Right. I just, these, the names crack me up sometimes. Yeah. And don't you wonder how like one finally sticks? Sticks, yeah. It's strange. Out of like all of the news articles. Yeah. So, July 8th in the 1960s, there was an edition of the Sunday Herald, a.k.a. the Boston Herald, and it featured the headline, quote, A Mad Strangler is Loose in Boston, in an article titled, Mad Strangler Kills Four Women in Boston, and we got that from Wikipedia. Hmm. He was also known as the Phantom Fiend. That one should have stuck. I'm sorry, but that one was pretty good. (laughs) Wait, have you ever seen that (laughs) meme where it's like, why are we giving these people all these cool Yes. They should be called, like, small dicks or whatever. (laughs) I think somebody sent that. Was it you that sent it to me? Probably. That's, like, one of my favorite memes. Yeah, it's like, why are we giving these people names like the Boston Strangler where they sound cool? Why can't they be, like, (laughs) why can't they be, like, little penis? (laughs) We should start that. For real, though. So, yeah, he was also known as the Phantom Fiend or Phantom Strangler and also referred to as the Silk Stocking Murders. So, we do mention that a couple times throughout the case. In 1963, two investigative reporters named Jean Cole and Loretta McLaughlin uh, worked for the Record American. They wrote a four-part series about the killer. They called him the Boston Strangler and then that name stuck. Yeah. We really got to work on making fun of these people. <laughs> For real, though. <laughs> or just, like, fucking ripping them to shreds. Right. Like, could you imagine them being in prison and be like, hey, what's up, little dude? <laughs> <laughs> you would get so much shit for it. Yeah. Okay. 
So now we're going to talk about the murders. Between June 14th of 1962 and January 4th of 1964, there was 13 women that were murdered in Boston, Massachusetts area. And we'll talk about um, sometimes it's referred to as 11, 11 women, sometimes it's referred to as 13, and we'll talk about later why there's a difference in the numbers. Mm -hmm. They were all single women, and the age ranged from 19 to 85 years old. Which is fucking strange. That really, like, hurts my soul Yeah. that. Yeah. One article said most were sexually assaulted and strangled in their apartments. Another article said, quote, In every case, the victims had been raped, sometimes with foreign objects, and their bodies laid out nude as if on display for a pornographic snapshot. Death was always due to strangulation, though the killer sometimes also used a knife. The ligature, a stocking, pillowcase, whatever, was inevitably left around the victim's neck tied with an exaggerated ornamental bow. And that was a quote from Crime Museum. That's disgusting that <sighs> this person did this horrific stuff to these women and then, like, left a big bow on it. And put yeah, them like, on display. Yeah, or, like, this is my gift, almost. Or For whoever finds it. Yeah. You. Yeah. That's, the bow really... It's like making a mockery out of it. Yeah. Yeah. So for all of these murders, there was no signs of forced entry into the homes. Police assumed that the women let the intruder in, thought that they maybe knew them somehow, or that the assaultant could be some kind of maintenance worker, delivery man, service man, something like that. Which makes sense if we'll talk about the murders, obviously, and exactly what everything was and what happened. But um, I also read somewhere that it was every single house that this person went to or apartment, it was staged to look like a robbery. Mm-hmm. But nothing was, was... I mean, some things were taken, but, like, a lot of high-valued things were left behind. So it was almost, like, trying so to... This, yeah, so it was either, like, set up to look that way, yeah. or the stuff that was taken were technically considered... Souvenirs. Trophies. Yeah. 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 After the first couple of murders, many Boston-area residents purchased tear gas and new locks and deadbolts for their doors, and oh. some women actually moved out of the area because they were so scared. That's absolutely terrifying. Could you imagine, like, being that scared to live where you are? I couldn't. No. And you would think, though, that if people were taking it that extreme, like some people, they would be looking out for their neighbors as well. Mm-hmm. And, like, keeping a watchful eye out, like, almost like a um, crime stopper type. Th- you know what I mean? Right. Like, just being aware of like the situation. Like, vigilant. Yeah. Although, we've talked about this in another case. Maybe back then it wasn't as much so like that as it is now. Right. I feel like it was a completely different time. Mm-hmm. Like, there wasn't things like this that happened often. Yeah. And for some reason, now it's pretty common and everybody's scared about everything, which is horrible. Well, it is, it is like awful to think about but at the same time it's great that people are more vigilant with looking yeah. out for other people yeah I not agree. just themselves yeah so now we're going to get into the victims which are the most important people of this entire story yes some of them we did find a little bit of background information on because we tried to do that in our podcast but some of them we just did, sadly wasn't. we didn't and yeah. it was more so about what happened to them which is sad yeah so the first victim was anna or Anna, Elsa Legans Slessers, and she was 55 years old. 
a little bit about, I'm going to call her Anna. I don't, depending on pronunciation, yeah. it could be Anna it or Anna. Yeah. yeah, I'm going to call her Anna. So a little bit about Anna. She was a seamstress for a decorating firm on Canal Street. She went to church often, and she had a 23-year-old son at the time named Juris. And a little bit about her murder. She was found June 14th, 1962. She was in her third floor apartment at 77 Gainsborough Street, Fenway, Boston. Around 5.30 p.m., she was seen entering her apartment alone. And around 7.45 p.m., Juris, which again was her son, got there to take her to church for a memorial service for victims of the Russian invasion of Latvia. And he found his mother's body on the kitchen floor, which I can't even, I can't even imagine what that poor man had to go through the rest of his life. Yeah, no. And she had on a robe that was ripped open. She was sexually assaulted with an unknown object, which makes me sick to my stomach. Ugh. She was strangled with the belt on her bathrobe, and it was said to be knotted around her neck in a big bow. That's disgusting. Yeah. The killer had first tried to strangle her with a man's belt, but the belt broke, and police speculated that a burglar a burglar accessed her apartment by scaffolding and that she walked in on the burglary. So that was just, like, their initial speculation. Right. Obviously, as we mentioned, she was the first victim. Yeah. So, um, it was then determined that it was a quote-unquote botched burglary when her purse contents were left all over the floor, including a gold watch and other jewelry. Like, as Kelsey mentioned, there were things that were left on crime scenes that would have been taken. Yeah. Right. And police questioned eight men at headquarters with her case, and all were released. That's scary. Yeah. Little did they know what was to come. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Mary Mullen, who is 85 years old, is the next victim. There wasn't really anything about Mary, sadly, to talk about, about her personal life. So, I'm going to talk about what happened with her murder. She was found on June 28th of 1962, which was three weeks after the first case. She was found in her apartment at 1435 Commonwealth Avenue, Boston. Her body was found on her sofa. Her death certificate said that... Her cause of death was a heart attack. Police speculated that she was literally scared to death. Yeah. And I had actually read that, before I forget, I wanted to include it later on, but then it kind of wouldn't have made sense. Mm -hmm. The person that they end up questioning later on down the road, he said at one point, he talked about Mary, and he said he, according to him, he literally didn't kill her and he went into the apartment and she she like collapsed oh my god i read that too that she was scared to death (sighs) that actually breaks my heart yeah so that was kind of corroborated with his side of the story as well wow with the heart attack that's really sad yeah so the next victim is nina francis nichols who is 68 years old Um, And a little bit about Nina, she was a physiotherapist, uh, and about her murder, she was found on June 30th, 1962, which was two days later. She was in her apartment at 1940 Commonwealth Ave in Boston. That afternoon, Chester Stedman, who was president of the Boston Bar, called Nina, and there was no answer, so 
she was actually his sister-in-law, so he was calling to check on her, and there was no answer. Mm-hmm. He then alerted the superintendent of the building, obviously worried, and around 7.30 p.m., her body was found on her bedroom floor. She was wearing a, plink, a pink flannel robe torn from her waist down. Two nylon stockings were tied tightly around her neck. She was sexually assaulted with a wine bottle. Oh, my God. And again, police found no evidence of forced entry. My heart is breaking for all of these women. That is so beyond disturbing. It's horrific. Like, that actually hurts my heart to think of. Actually horrific. How a fucking human can do that to another human being blows my mind. I just hope for her case that she, I don't, I don't want to say this, but like, after the fact. Yeah. It was after she had already passed because I can't even imagine going through that. Honestly, I doubt it. I know. So the next victim is Helen Elizabeth Blake, who is 65 years old. A little bit about Helen. She was a nurse and she was found on June 30th, 1962, which was the same day as Nina. So now this killer's getting cocky. So escalation. Yeah. Yeah. She was found in her apartment at 73 New Hall Street in Lynn, Massachusetts. Her body was found face down on her bed. She was wearing flannel pajamas and the bottoms were on the floor. She had been sexually assaulted. A mm-hmm. nylon stocking and bra were tied around her neck. So again, escalation because he's kind of like adding more things to it. Right, like he's getting comfortable and he feels like he's getting cocky. Yeah, and possibly testing the waters with like... Oh, do I want to do it this way? A new MO. Yeah. Yeah. So, reporters began writing stories about the murders, such as, quote, another silk stocking murder, two women slain the same day, and, quote, a massive hunt is underway for the mad triple killer. And that was a quote from the Boston Globe. So, Helen's downstairs neighbor may have actually heard the attack happen, the woman heard furniture being moved upstairs and just thought that Helen was cleaning. That is so fucking sad. Could you imagine, like, looking back and being like, oh my god, I heard what was happening to her, and I assumed it was her vacuum cleaner. <sighs> like, there's no other way. There's, I'm not blaming her at all, her no, neighbor. Like, no. I wouldn't think anything else either, but that's horrible to think about. That has to be very hard to, like, yeah. deal with, you Yeah, know? after the fact. yeah. So, police realize they have a cereal <laughs> 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 autocorrect into cereal like the cereal you oh eat. Oh, my God. <laughs> cereal killer. I'm just pic- picturing Cheerios, like, holding a knife. <laughs> you know, there's actually a restaurant or, yeah, there's a restaurant called Cereal Killer. Really? Yeah, and it's, like, all different kinds of cereals. <laughs> Oh my god, that's so funny. Those okay. motherfucking cinnamon toast crunches. <laughs> he was going fucking ham on the Reese's peanut butter cup cereal. Reese's puffs. God. Oh my god. If only he was just strangling strangling the cereal boxes. Right. right. For real though. So police realized they have a cereal killer and all hands were on deck to find this person. They started to warn women to lock their doors and to be cautious. And the profiling at this time said that they were looking for a psychopath whose hatred for older women may be linked to the relationship he had with his mother. Which would make sense, I guess. In a way. Yeah. Until we get further down, though, and then that doesn't Doesn't really make sense. sense. Yeah. Yeah. 
So the next person that was that had crossed paths with this monster was Ida Odes Erga. And we couldn't really find anything about Ida, sadly. Yeah. So I'm going to talk a little bit about what happened to her. She was found on Saturday, August 19th, 1962. She was found in her Beacon Hill apartment on 7 Grove Street in Boston. She lived in this apartment for 15 years. So that, that is just so awful because that's, like, her safe space. Such a sense of security. Yeah. And then have, having to have, like, this happen. Yeah. I mean, all of this, like, all of these women, that was their safe space. Mm-hmm. But for this woman woman to be living in this apartment for 15 years. She's probably like, this is never going to happen to me. I yeah. know exactly, you know, where poor, everything is. Yeah. Poor thing. So, Ida's family called her phone with no answer and began to get worried and her cousin went to her fifth floor apartment and found her, which again Ugh. just has to be absolutely awful. She was found on her back with her pajamas ripped, and her legs were held apart by two chairs, which. I can't even <sighs> imagine walking into that scene. No. Like, I can't. No. She was strangled by a pillowcase and sexually assaulted. <sighs> the next victim was Jane Buckley Sullivan. She was 67. A little bit about Jane. She was a night nurse at Longwood Hospital. Which is the second nurse. Yeah. I wonder if that was intentional or... Or just... Yeah, like if this person observed that about them. Right. Or if it just was coincidence. Yeah. She was found on August 21st, 1962. This was less than 24 hours after Ida. So again... The escalation's just there. Yeah. The newspaper at this time said, quote, the deranged killer who has brought chilling terror to the time of every Boston woman who lives alone. Jane was found in her home on 435 Columbia Road in Dorchester. I don't know. Boston, I know, pronounces things differently. I would say Dorchester, but yeah. I think it's Dorchester. Oh, really? They... I have Boston friends who pronounce things very differently. Really? So, Amy, if you're listening, let me know how I, how I say it. I, I don't know. I've always, I thought it was just Dorchester. Yeah. Or, I don't, or Dorchester? Shyster? I don't know. Shyster? Shyster. <laughs> so, not making fun of my Boston friends. Dorchester, Boston. She was found face down in her bathtub and kneeling. With her head and forearm arms covered by water, which right. again is just these scenes are just so gruesome, so disturbing. Like the fact that he made her kneel he in her bathtub. Yeah, that's so gross. And God, it's just sickening to think about. I can't even think about it. Her robe was thrown up by her shoulders, with her underwear around her ankles. And she had been dead for one week, with cause of death being strangulation with two nylon stockings. Ugh. During this time, a psychiatrist drew a hypothetical picture of the strangler and said, quote, He is physically small, a fact that nurtures a crippling inferiority complex. He's a psychotic sex pervert suffering from a most ma- malignant form of schizophrenia, and unless police get to him, he will kill again. That should have been his name. Psychotic sex pervert. <laughs> that should have been his name. It should have. The Boston Strangler is no more. <laughs> He's officially Can we just change it? psychotic sex pervert. Gross. Yeah. So now we're on to the next victim, and her name was Sophia Clark, who was actually 20 years old. Ugh. So she's one of the younger victims. 
So a little bit about Sophie. She worked in a ho- as a hospital technician during the day and went to night classes at Carnegie Institute of Medical Technology on Beacon Hill. So about her murder. She was found on Wednesday, December 5th, 1962 at 315 Huntington Avenue in Fenway, Boston. She was found by her roommate that was coming back home. She was actually found on her back with her legs spread apart. She was wearing a garter belt, black stockings, and a blue floral robe, and a bra that was all ripped off. She was strangled by a stocking and a petticoat that were intertwined. On the carpet near her body, there were semen stains. Fucking disgusting. This is just, like, so sickening to me. Like, all of it. I I hate this man. Same. Because not only did... I feel like not only did he do the most gruesome things to these women, he left them in such a vulnerable state. Like, even after their death. Yeah, that's like... Like, he was trying to shame them. After they died. Yeah. Yeah. For their family to find them. Yeah. The next victim was Patricia Jane Bullock Bissett, and she was 23 years old. She worked as a receptionist at an engineering company in Kenmore Square, and she was one month pregnant at the time. Oh, God. That's really sad. She was found on December 31st, 1962, at 515 Park Drive in Fenway, Boston. Patricia returned to her alma mater, which was Middlebury College, where she had been an editor of the yearbook, she told a classmate that she was not afraid of the Boston Strangler. Oh, my God. That just gave me the chills. Like, oh, my God. And then this oh happens to her. Oh, my God. Look her. at my arm. I know. Like. Poor thing. I can't Like, how, how does that happen, though? How does that happen where someone says something like that and then it happens? I wonder if it was almost like a premonition, but she was trying to... Like, avoid it. Like, contradict it. Or, I mean, you know how some people speak out of fear and they're like, oh, no, 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 I'm not... I mean, I don't know. I feel like everybody in Boston at this time, especially, like, people living alone, women living alone, they were were just all... They all knew about it. Yeah. And everybody brought it up constantly. But for her to be like, I'm not afraid of him. Yeah. I'd be like, I'm fucking scared. Yeah, and then have her life taken by him. Yeah. That's so sad. So she didn't show up for work, so her boss ended up calling the janitor of her building, and she was found in her bed. She was in a bra and a blue and red robe. A sheet and blanket were pulled to her neck and smoothed. Almost like... Which is, like, very odd. Yeah. Like, almost like for this one... He was, like, trying to, to like, cover, her, cover up. her up. Yeah. And w- like, it was almost, like, nurturing like how soothing. it was yeah. smoothed out around her. Right. Like, almost, like, tucked into bed. Yeah. That's She was odd. strangled with four items of clothing. Knotted around her neck were a blouse, over that a nylon stocking, and then two stockings tied together. So strange. Yeah, that one was a little bit off from his other ones, yeah. but I don't know. I wonder if he found a soft spot for her for some reason. Yeah. You know how, I mean, sometimes that happens with... And then those are usually the people that, like, escape, too. Yeah, yeah. So, the next person we're going to talk about is Mary Ann Brown. She was 69 years old. Again, we couldn't really find anything about Mary's personal life. She was found on March 6th, 1963, in her apartment at 319 Park Ave. Lawrence. 
and she was on the floor with a sheet covering her head. So again, that's kind of like, usually you see that in cases where people know someone, like they know the victim, or they're shameful of the act they did. they don't want them to look at them. Yeah. Yeah. Which again is, that's Uh, strange, and it's like two in a row that that's showing a different... Right, maybe something happened in his personal life, I don't know. Yeah. So... Although she had this sheet over her head, she had been raped, strangled, beaten on the head, and stabbed in her breasts with a kitchen fork, and the fork was left in her chest by the killer. Oh my god. Which I feel like completely contradicts the sheet over the head. I don't know. It's almost like if they were, if that one psychiatrist said that, like he profiled and said this person could be schizophrenic. It's almost like two different sides of this person were out. Or they felt that maybe by doing these horrible things, they felt shame after and had to cover their head, cover the face. Yeah, but that was only two of them so far. I know. And I like, don't know. why? Why are you mutilating her breasts and then covering her face with a sheet? It doesn't honestly make any logical sense no. because we're not murderers. Yeah, that's that's true. So. The next person is Beverly Sammons, and she was 23 years old. A little bit about Beverly. She was a musical therapist and a graduate student in music at Boston University. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, and she was found May 6, 1963, on 4 University Road in Cambridge. She was found stretched on her on her bed. She was undressed, stabbed, and strangled. So, again, with the stabbing, like, there's clear escalation or him trying to, like, figure out what... What he wants. He, quote-unquote, likes. Yeah. Yeah. Her hands were tied behind her back, and two silk scarves and a nylon stocking were knotted around her neck, but were not the cause of death for her. None of the bones in her neck were fractured, so that's how they kind of, like, ruled that that out. Yeah. Yeah. She was stabbed 16 times, 4 times in the neck, and 12 in the chest. And I think, if I read, if I remember correctly, 5 of them were in one of her lungs. Oh, Which God. is just fucking awful. God. It was thought that because Beverly was a singer, the muscles in her neck were stronger and harder to strangle her. That is actually terrifying. Yeah. Like, that was probably such a struggle for her. That makes me want to fucking throw up. <sighs> hang in there guys (laughs) we told we gave the trigger warning yeah so the next victim was marie evelina aka evelyn corbin and she was 58 years old a little bit about evelyn she worked for sylvania which um is usually like car lights Oh. Light bulbs. I didn't know that. Yeah, Sylvania's like light bulbs. I'm the daughter of an electrician. I was just gonna say, did your dad tell you that? (laughs) Inside knowledge. Yeah, just like in case you guys wanted to know. Um, About her murder, she was found September 8th, 1963 on 224 Lafayette Street in Salem. And she had the day off off from work. She had breakfast with her neighbor, Flora Manchester, and then left to get ready for mass at St. Teresa's. The women had actually planned to meet for lunch later that day. At 1 o'clock, Flora Manchester went to Evelyn's apartment and there was no response. So she unlocked the door and found Evelyn draped over the bed with her right leg dangling toward the floor. 
and two stockings were around her neck. Another stocking was wrapped around her left ankle, and a fourth stocking was found on the bed, and she had also been raped. It's just disgusting. Yeah. All right, the last two victims. Um, the, the first one is Joanne Marie Graff, and she was 23 years old. And a little bit about Joanne. She was described by her na- neighbors as a quiet girl. Um, she was a Sunday school teacher and an artist. Aww. She seems so sweet. Yeah. About her murder. She was found on November 23rd, 1963 at an apartment on 54 Essex Street in Lawrence. The landlord showed up to collect rent and there was no answer. She hadn't shown up for dinner Saturday night with her friends or for services on Sunday at Redeemer Lutheran Church. So they were like, something's up. Mm-hmm. Especially since she taught Sunday school. Yeah, for real though. Yeah. So her friends ended up calling the police and the police found her body in her apartment, which to be honest, I'm happy it was the police and not her friends. Yeah, thank God. that. I mean... There really is no blessing when it comes to these victims. No. But that like was it a blessing in itself. Like, personal, yeah. like, ugh, just horrible. Yeah. She was nude from the waist down. Her blouse was pushed up to her armpits, and two nylon stockings and a leotard were knotted around her neck. Oh, my God. And the final victim, Mary Ann Sullivan, who was 19 years old. She actually graduated from Barnstable High School in 1962, and she was described as a happy-go-lucky person. She was found on January 4, 1964, at 44A Charles Street in Boston. Two women returned home from working at Feline's and saw her roommate Mary in bed, decided not to wake her and to let her sleep. They made dinner, and when they tried to wake her up, they realized that she had actually died. A motorcycle officer responded to screaming and found that Mary had a nylon stocking and two scarves around her neck. I wonder if he was passing by and actually heard heard them screaming, or if someone in the apartment called it in and were like... They were the first one that was there. Yeah. Oh my god. She was found sitting up in her bed with her back against the headboard, and she was sexually assaulted by a broom handle. Oh, God. That makes me so fucking sick. This is disgusting. There was also... This part, like, is so personal and disgusting to me. There was a Happy New Year's card wedged between her feet. So this fucking killer was like, oh, Happy New Year, like, trying to throw it in her and her family's face. See, between the bow and presenting it like a gift and then that, this person, like, there has, there had to have been a reason for doing that. I know. Like, did stuff happen to this person around holidays? Was, like, there has to be some kind of reasoning. There has to be. Behind that. It can't just be random. Like, even though, like, we can't understand that because... We're not a fucking psychopath. Deep down in the dark depths of this person's brain, there has Something. to be a reason for it. Yeah, to do these this to these women. So there were also seminal fluids left behind on a maroon blanket in Mary Sullivan's house. So just keep that in the back of your mind. That's going to come into play later. And like I said, she was the final victim of the Boston Strangler. Oh. And this is a Wikipedia quote. The murders of Margaret Davis, 60 years old, of Roxbury, and Cheryl Laird, of 14, of Lawrence, 
were originally attributed to the Boston Strangler, but were later found to be unrelated cases. So that's where it comes um, into play, where I said earlier, some articles say 13 and some say 11. Mm. These two were originally thought to be 13, but they ended up deciding that it was only 11. Yeah. Yeah. So there were some incidents in the area before the murders that are going to kind of lead up to the capture of potential suspects. Yeah. A couple years before the murders began, there were a series of sex offenses in the Cambridge, Massachusetts area. There was a man in his late 20s that went door-to-door as a talent scout looking for new models. Right there is a red fucking flag. I'm sorry. What? A scout for an agency is going to not show up at your front door. No, and why would you let him in? I mean, again, back then it was it wasn't, very it different. Wasn't a thing, yeah. But it wasn't a thing to have. That's just like murderers odd. Come to that's just super odd. Maybe it wasn't that. I don't know. <laughs> it's weird. So if the woman was interested, he would say he needed to take her measurements. Okay. Okay. I'm sure. He would fondle the women as he took their measurements. <laughs> right then, I would be like, "Get the fuck out!" <laughs> Unless they were like scared, obviously. But that is so like. I don't understand how in that moment either I wonder if they called the police right after he left or maybe some of them were like ashamed that they let this person or they were like take their measurement come back and just let it go yeah I guess it depended on the victim but like how did he think this was a a good idea (laughs) I don't understand like, let me show up and take measurements and fondle these women as I'm taking their measurements. That's disgusting. And think that women wouldn't talk about it. Right. So, several women actually did contact the police, and he was referred to as, quote, the measuring man. See, he should have been, like, one-incher or something. Like, right. that should have been his nickname. Right. The one-inch man. Yeah, because he's clearly doing this because he's lacking inches somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> Right? Not just his measurements. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can cut that measuring tape. <laughs> so, March 1960, police caught a man breaking into a house. He confessed to burglary and to being the measuring man. Oh. And this was without prompting. He was just yep, like, it was I'm me. the measuring man. <laughs> it was me. Yeah. And he was a fucking idiot. His name was Albert DeSalvo. DeSalvo was sent, sent, I can't talk right now, DeSalvo was sentenced to 18 months in jail, but he was released after 11 months for good behavior, because that's a thing that happens. Yeah, I hate that. It's fucking stupid. Like, your behavior wasn't good when you were molesting these women. Right, obviously you're not going to do it in prison. Yeah, come on. So, a quick background on Albert DeSalvo, because it's important. (laughs) Kind of. Right, and, like, you know how much we hate doing this, but we have to. It's a mini background, and it's just because it's stuff you need to know to, like, move on just later down the line. Yeah. He did have a rough upbringing, which that's the only pity I'll have for him. A lot of people do, though. Yeah. His father was an alcoholic that beat his wife, a.k.a. um, His mom. His mom. Yeah. Albert's mom. At one point, he actually knocked out all of his wife's teeth. This is Albert's mom. Ooh. And bent her fingers back until they broke in front of the fucking kids. Ugh. So, I understand how this man could be fucked up. Yeah. But 
Not to the point where he murders people. No, I'm cringe. And Oof. fucking rapes people. Ooh. But yeah. Like, that is fucking rough. The dad would also engage in sexual acts with prostitutes in front of his wife and children. Ding, ding, ding. Wonder where yeah. that came from. I wonder if he also did some, like, Fucked strangulation shit in front of them, too. Not to the point where he killed women, but... But that's yeah. where he maybe got the idea. Yeah. He was in and out of prison from an early age. This is be- this is Albert not now, not his dad. Yeah. He was in and out of prison from an early age for petty crime and violence, and he ended up marrying a woman a woman named Ermgard Beck from Germany, and they had a family, and she gave birth to a handicapped child, which that fucking sickens me that this man did the crimes he did and is the father of a handicapped child. Yeah. Like, you should have a bigger heart for having a child who's handicapped. That you see suffer, yeah. Yeah. That, like... Apparently not. That makes me sick. He was well-liked by colleagues and his boss, and he was known as a family man. Which they all usually are. Yeah. To be honest. Yeah. Except for the real fucking weird ones. Yeah. <laughs> Where, like, sometimes... Where yeah. you, like, look at them and you're like, okay. Yeah. Something's off. <laughs> After his release, he began a new crime spree throughout Massachusetts, Connecticut, Rhode Island, and New Hampshire. He dressed in green... Broke into over 400 homes. I don't know why he dressed in green. That's just like... 400 homes? Yeah. That's a fucked Wait, up. Wait, I'm, I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. He broke into over 400 homes, and he sexually assaulted over oh, 300 women. Oh, my God. Which... 400 homes is a lot. What was he, just going door to door? I guess. But oh I have a new name God. for him. What? The Tiny Dicked Leprechaun. <laughs> because he, he was wearing all green. Perfect, right? We're retiring Boston Strangler. <laughs> the Boston Strangler is the tiny dick leprechaun. Deal. Okay. Boston and New England are Boston. Why? What? Okay. Boston. <clears throat> Hold on, I'm frazzled. Police, <laughs> police in New England were searching for the green man the same time, and that was his name, yeah. the same time that the Boston homicide detectives were looking for the Boston Strangler. So this was going on at the same fucking time. Yeah. How? How did he have the energy? Because <laughs> he was a leprechaun. Right. Uh, I don't know. So, now we're going to October of 1964. A woman who was actually one of the quote-unquote green man's victims went to the police and told them that there was a man posing as a detective that came to her house and sexually assaulted her. That's sickening. Yeah, so he disguised himself as a detective, said I need to come in, and then assaulted her. This man was identified as Albert DeSalvo. Once he was identified, his picture was posted in the newspaper, and then many women began to come forward to identify him as well as the person that, you know, assaulted them. Mm -hmm. He was arrested on rape charges and sent to Bridgewater State Hospital for psychiatric observation. So while he was there, he actually became friends with a murderer named George Nassar. It is thought that George and Albert worked at a deal to split reward money if one of them confessed to being the Boston Strangler. I don't know how they, like, this conversation got started. Yeah. Albert DeSalvo told his attorney, named F. Lee Bailey, that he was the Boston Strangler. 
DeSalvo was able able to describe each murder with really accurate details, so his attorney ended up believing him. He knew that what the victims wore and details about, like, furniture and their apartment and how yeah. it was arranged. Yeah, which, like, how the fuck would he know that if he right. didn't do it? Right. Unless... Other than George, George uh, Yeah, unless, like, George did it and told him what to say. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. they were obviously pals. Yeah. There was no physical evidence linking DeSalvo to the, quote, silk stocking murders, a.k.a. the Boston Strangler, at the beginning, early on. So we'll talk about that later. In an attempt to be absolutely sure, the police brought in one of his surviving victims named Gertrude Grun, who to identify him in prison. They wanted to observe Gertrude's reaction, so they actually brought two men to the lobby, Albert DeSalvo and George Nassar. She said that DeSalvo was not her attacker and that she felt that there was, quote, something upsetting, something frighteningly familiar about the man. And she was talking about Nassar. Hmm. So she was right off the bat like, it's not Albert, but the other guy, like, he's giving me bad vibes. Might also just be that he's a shitty, shitty person. Right. And, and you're, she like, was picking, picking up, up on, on him <laughs> being, like, a fucking psychopath. Right. DeSalvo's friends and family said they never thought that he was capable of the crimes he committed, uh, or crimes committed by the Boston Strangler. Since there was no physical evidence, again, yet, linking DeSalvo to the murders, and he did not match the witness descriptions, he was not actually tried in any of the Boston Strangler murders. So they were kind of just like, meh. Like, oh, We yeah. can't really do anything. Yeah. I guess, I mean, they didn't have enough physical evidence yeah. and stuff, but... He was still sent to prison for life for the rapes and sexual assaults of the quote-unquote Green Man cases. Thank so, God. Thank God he, he actually was, was caught. Leprechaun. Right? Yeah, thank like, God. Like, if he wasn't... <laughs> thank God. He would be walking free. In 1967, he went to Walpole Maximum Security State Prison to serve his sentence. November 19 of 1973... DeSalvo told his doctor that he had something important to say about the Boston Strangler murders, but the night before they were supposed to meet, he was stabbed to death in his cell. I have mixed feelings about that. Somebody knew something was going on, or like, that he, what do you think was going on? I mean, I'm not upset that he was stabbed to death. Neither. But I'm upset he was stabbed to death before... They could hear what he had to say. I think he probably knew that something was coming in prison. And he was like, I have to get this off my chest. Or he was fucking with them. Yeah. Either that or, like, he really did have some important information and someone else found out about it. And maybe it did involve someone else. And they had him killed or something. I don't know. Yeah, inside of prison, right? Yeah, I don't know. Or people just really didn't like him because he was a fucking rapist. And murderer. Yeah. Or alleged, sorry, murderer. Alleged, right. (laughs) So, it was found in what was described as, quote-unquote, mysterious circumstances. So, because this was a high-security prison, it was believed that there was a plan to kill him by both the prisoners and the employees of the prison. So, there was, like... The, The question is, why? Right. If that is the case. Somebody knew something and... I don't know. I don't was know it happened. a cover-up? Was it because they just really didn't fucking like him? They thought he was a piece of shit? Which could be. Yeah. Yeah. For nearly 50 years, no one has ever been charged as the Boston Strangler. 
That's sickening for the family members of all of the victims. And the victims. And the victims themselves. That makes me sick. Especially with what this monster did to them and how they fucking left these women. Yeah. That makes me so sick. So, July 2013, Boston Police Department believed they had found DNA evidence linking Albert DeSalvo to Mary Sullivan, which again was his last victim from 1964. They took DNA from DeSalvo's nephew and said it was, quote, a near certain match to DNA found on Mary Sullivan's body and blanket from her apartment. So, remember, there was semen left on the blanket in her apartment. Wow. That was in 2013. Yeah. Like, that's crazy. Props to the person who kept the evidence, like, contained so well for so long. Right, because DNA wasn't available. Like, DNA testing wasn't available then, obviously. So, just the thought of some person or even just the police being like, we should hold on to this is amazing. Yeah. And whoever properly contain that yeah. should teach everyone how to, how to properly it. contain evidence. Right. Props to you. Yeah. So they got Tim DeSalvo's DNA, which again was his uh, Albert DeSalvo's nephew, from a water bottle at a construction site. Hell yeah. Discarded property. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that. Yep. The DNA on her body and the blanket, quote, remains the only DNA evidence in the entire Boston Strangler investigation. Six samples that the Boston Police Crime Lab's lead forensic scientist, Robert Hayes, preserved as he waited for technology to advance to the point where nuclear DNA could be positively matched to a suspect. Thank you, Robert Hayes. We do have a name. Robert. Thank you. Robert Hayes, you are the true hero. Snaps for Robert. That was great. And that was a quote from ABC News. Robert Hayes needs to be, like, the lead of... Teaching. Of teaching everything with this. Right. And just making smart fucking decisions when it comes to cases and preserving evidence. That was so smart. Yeah. Because who knows, 20 years down the line from now, what it's going to be like. Yeah. So the court then ordered an exhumation of DeSalvo's body from Puritan Lawn Cemetery in Peabody, Massachusetts. They took DNA from his femur and some teeth and determined that DeSalvo was the man that killed and raped Mary Sullivan. So her case was then closed 50 years later. I have the chills. Oh my god. The family (sighs) actually finally got her case. Justice for Mary Sullivan. Thank God. Casey Sherman was the nephew of Mary Sullivan that she never got to meet, and he said his mother Diane was 17 when Mary Sullivan was murdered. That's my worst nightmare. I'm gonna cry. That's literally my worst nightmare. He admits that he is grateful to know his aunt's true killer. He said, quote, for all these years, it was just me and her, meaning him and his mother, chasing the case it took 49 years for police to say they legitimately got him oh god so there are some other theories about the boston strangler as we mentioned the true identity still remains a mystery police have not legitimately identified DeSalvo as the boston strangler as of 2013 although he was definitely connected mary yeah. sullivan's killer wow um, some speculate that DeSalvo is the Boston Strangler, which I kind of lean towards because, yeah, um, clearly there was similar things happening in Mary's case as to others, unless he was, like, a copycat, right. but, or 
I mean, another theory was that some argue that the murders are the work of several killers. And they so were all kind, just of, kind of going off of each other. Yeah. Ugh. So, who knows? It's crazy but that nobody's gonna know. I know for sure, like a hundred percent. I mean, they said that this was, and like at least for Mary Sullivan's case, it was ninety nine point nine percent. Right. True. I just like wish that the other victims could have justice as well. You know. There was one other one though where there was semen at the scene. It was. But I wonder. It was if they, on her carpet. I wonder if they didn't preserve it. Probably not. They yeah. Probably, it was on her carpet. You know. Yeah. So that is the end of the Boston Strangler case. I just wanted to quickly talk about some books, movies, and modern culture that were made after the fact. There was a 1964 film called The Strangler, and it was inspired by the murders. There was a 1964 novel called No Way to Treat a Lady by William Goldman, and its 1968 film adaptation were inspired by theories surrounding the case. 1968, the film called The Boston Strangler. 1969, the Rolling Stones released, quote, Midnight Rambler on the album Let It Bleed. The song is a loose biography of Albert DeSalvo. The Boston Strangler is mentioned in the lyrics once. And that's a Wikipedia quote. That, I like the Rolling Stones, but that kind of pisses me off that they made a song about it. Like, why give him Right, I mean, I need to, like, look at the lyrics and stuff. Maybe they're kind of honoring the victims in a way, but... I mean, if it's a loose biography of Albert DeSalvo, who the fuck cares about that? Yeah. That kind of pisses me off. I lost a little respect for the Rolling Stones. Right. 1980s, Philadelphia 76ers play Andrew, player Andrew Tony was dubbed, quote, the Boston Strangler because of his outstanding performances against the Boston Celtics. An example of that is Game 7 of the 1982 Eastern Conference Finals. Sorry, but no, I would not want to be fucking nicknamed the Boston Strangler no, because of how I played. after a serial killer. That's disgusting. That actually is. And that kind of shows how, like, media culture co- covers the wrong stuff. Yeah. Like, why is that cool? Why, <laughs> yeah, why is the killer amped up instead of the victim's? I don't know. Like, remember it's the... like, not... Remember the victims' names. Right. Not the fucking killer. Yeah. 1995, there was a film called Coffee Copycat, which references the Boston Strangler. Good fucking movie! Is it? I've yeah. never seen it. Oh, my God. My parents had it on VHS when I was younger, and I remember taking it when I was, like, 13 oh my and watching But it's a really good movie. It Casual. stars Sojourney Weaver. Okay. And she is incredible in it. I need to watch you it You have to now. watch it. It's, it's really good. Okay, I'll watch it. 1996, The Boston Stranglers by Susan Kelly. Um, John E. Douglas, who was a former FBI special agent, who was one of the first criminal profilers. Mine Hunter! So cool. John Douglas! Talked about the Boston Stranglers in his book called The Cases That Haunt Us. Mindhunter is so fucking good. Yeah, and John Douglas is incredible. They didn't do... The Boston Strangler, though, in that, in Mindhunter. At least, and not in the seasons there are. Yeah. Well, he, um, I had read that he actually, I don't know if his opinion has changed since the article that I read or not. I'm Mm -hmm. not trying to put words into John Douglas's mouth. Yeah. Um, but according to the article I read, at that time, he believed that DeSalvo was not the Boston Strangler. Yeah, wow. With, like, the type, 
of how he profiled him, he said didn't quite match up with the Boston wow. Strangler. Yeah. So just a little background on the mine on Mindhunter if you guys want to watch it. Really fucking good. It's on Netflix. It's basically um, the start of the behavioral science unit in um, in the FBI, mm-hmm. where they went and profiled and and interviewed serial killers at the time, trying to find a common commonalities between them. Mm-hmm. You know, they I think he they in the in the show at least they did um, Ed Kemper. Mm-hmm. They did um, who else? They did a bunch of them. A bunch of serial killers at the time. And it was... It's just really interesting, the show is. Yeah, and they have kind of... I like how they... They haven't really touched upon the whole thing yet, but they put a little bit of BTK in. Mm -hmm. A little at a time in Mm -hmm. the beginning of the episodes till it's eventually going to evolve into that. To BTK. Yeah, and I wonder if they're then gonna jump on his case. Yeah. So crazy. John Douglas is pretty fucking incredible. <laughs> I'm a big fan. Big fan. Big yeah, fan. and he was actually on the podcast, um, True Crime Garage. Oh, really? Yeah, <gasps> they had him as a guest, because I love True Crime what? Garage. They had him as a guest. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, there was a 2007 <laughs> novel called The Strangler by William Landay. Um, a 2008 film called The Boston Strangler, The Untold Story. 2010 television film called The Front. Um, episode of the Str- of Strangler on CBS American Gothic. Second episode of TNT's Rizzoli and Isles. The episode was called Boston Strangler Redo. French Redo, American Redux. I looked it up. <laughs> I'm like, is, am I saying that right? I thought it was Redo to, like, Redo. Like a, yeah. Like French. Yeah. I'm assuming it is, but then when I looked it up, it said American version Redux. <laughs> Good to like, know. That sounds really like, wrong. I like the French version better. Redo. Redo. Um, okay, almost done. <laughs> I'm pouring sweat here. (laughs) Me too, I'm dripping. Um, Featured in Image Comics, The Roberts. Episode of the British comedy series, Psychoville. Wow, that's a great series name. 13th episode of the second season of Crossing Jordan, titled Strangled. A Boston hardcore band is named The Boston Strangler. I do not like that. Why are people doing that? I do not like that. And 2016 podcast called Stranglers. Hmm. Wow. That a lot. A lot of... I think, honestly, part of the reason why things get so much attention, especially things like this, is because it's not truly solved. Like, it's not... I don't know. Yeah. I think so, too. People are, like, fascinated by the unknown. Yeah. I am. Yeah. Same. And And I wouldn't want to be nicknamed after him. No. Or have my band named after him. Gross. And especially, like, you're from Boston. That happened where you are. Yeah, why would you want to, like... Why would you, like, feed off of that? I don't know. I don't know either. Don't come at us. (laughs) (laughs) Or do. Or do, whatever. (laughs) I don't care. I do care. But, yeah, so... That that about sums it up. We need to check if... We need to double check with Laura if she was Mary Sullivan. Yeah. Or if she was Gertrude... The one that Grown. escaped. Yeah. Yeah. Because she said, if I recall, recall, she said that she helped kind of catch him. Yeah. 
So maybe she was. But she also said she was like a a last victim. So I wonder if she passed or not. Yeah. We'll have to ask her. Yeah. Update. (laughs) We'll have to ask. Yeah. So we hope you guys um, continue listening to us and giving us feedback. Yeah. We love feedback. Make sure to leave us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts or your podcasting platform of choice if they offer it. <laughs> they all should, but some don't. Some don't. Yeah, and uh, I posted a poll the other day. Oh, yeah. About mugs. mugs mm-hmm. Because we've had some people asking if we're going to have them back or not. Which we could easily reorder them, so if there's a big enough demand, we definitely will. Yeah, so give us feedback on that. Yes. And, uh... Hopefully our summer merch will be out soon. Yes. And we're excited I about think it. That's about it. Yes, we will talk to you guys next week. See ya. Have a good week. Regarding this case and our resources, follow us at Crime Cults and Coffee on Instagram and Facebook.